Readings taken from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, if you can, uh, make sure you, you can see a Bible. If we go back to the Ephesians chapter, that was 1175, um, that'd be great, because we'll be looking through that um, together as we continue our series in Ephesians. Um, shall I just pray before we start? Dear God, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for this book of Ephesians that we've been learning about over the last weeks. And I pray you'd be with me now and give me the words to say and give us the hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So perspective then, it's, it's a really important thing, I'm sure you agree. Um, often people go, they see something, they experience something, and they'll say, well, that puts things into perspective, doesn't it? I don't know if you remember the story of David and Goliath in the Old Testament. It's often said that when Goliath came against the Israelites... The soldiers all thought, he's so big, we can never kill him. When Goliath came against David, he looked at the same giant and thought, he's so big, I can't miss him. And Paul has been giving us this kind of perspective in Ephesians. So we've been through 
Ephesians 1 to 3, and he's been painting the great picture of who we are. He's been telling us about uh, God's plans, about Christ, about what it meant for the Jews and the Gentiles, all through 1 to 3. And then last week, Pads um, brought us the message, and that great prayer in Ephesians, I don't know if you can see it, it's just before the passage we're looking at now on page 1175. And I'll just read it again because it's really nice, it's really nice kind of sum up of that section where Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a great picture. What a great prayer. And Paul's kind of painted this picture, and then he moves from that amazing landscape down to the new group of believers, to the nitty-gritty, to where we often say the rubber hits the roads. And that's what we're looking at in chapter 4. So Paul's moving from the doctrine, the theology, who we are, and now he's looking at the duty, the reality, and how we need to live And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Because for God, the church wasn't a thing he he had to do and he felt he needed, but he really didn't want to. The church is integral to God's plan for the world. And he's chosen to use us. And that's why Paul then moves to talk about the church and what it's important. I really like this um, Peanuts cartoon. I'm not sure you'll be able to read it from the pew, so I'll tell you roughly what it says. So Lucy comes up to Linus and says... uh, Change, change the channel. I want a different channel. Uh, Linus says, are you kidding? What makes you think you can just walk up here and tell me to change the channel and take over? Lucy says, these five fingers, individually they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that's terrible to behold. Linus says, which channel do you want? <laughs> Turning away then, this is like, he looks at his hands and he says to them, Why can't you guys get organized like that? (laughs) And obviously, I should say, right, I'm not uh, going to give you a a lesson on how to work a fist. Probably wouldn't be appropriate. But but there is something in that, in that, you know, we look at the church, all the individuals, and we sometimes think, why can't you guys get together and be this powerful force that Paul talks about? And so that's where he looks, he maps out in chapter 4. And we're going to see four characteristics. We're going to see the characteristics of a united church. Uh, Firstly, at the beginning, love. Then we're going to look at truth. Then about being diverse. And lastly, about maturity and being mature at the end of the passage. So firstly, love. Let's look at, you look down at verse 1 for me. And you see what Paul's saying. So Paul, obviously, he's still a prisoner writing this. He's urging us to have a life worthy of the calling. And then he talks about this patience, humility, gentleness. But I think what's striking in these verses is some of the other language he says. He says, I urge you. He says, bear with one another. He says, make every effort. There's no sense in this that it's going to be easy or it's going to be a walk in the park. Being united, kind of working together is hard. I struggle even to get on with myself, let alone getting on with other people. You know, it's difficult. Um, I heard of a couple of men who, they had just come out of a church service in unity, and one man turns to the other and says to him, well, at least we're all doing the Lord's work. 
you in your way and mine in his. <laughs> you see, it's hard sometimes to be, you know, we, we get in each other's way. And in, in Paul's time, when he was writing to the Ephesians, they had Jews with all their cultural history of the Old Testament and Gentiles who were newcomers to this new faith. And they were being smashed together to become one church. So he was writing into a church that was struggling with that unity and had much more challenges than obviously we have um, today. But he says that we need to do it in love. And love's there. I think you can see it in verse 2. And then at the end of the passage in 15 and 16, he, he returns to it and says in love. And it's not, you know, the soft, mushy, romantic love that I'm sure Bridget would say I'm amazing at. But it's the kind of the gritty, hard love, the kind of the act of will, um, where we need to make a decision, you know, to love. And, and Paul gives us three kind of really good examples. He says, humility, patience, and gentleness. Now, I think these are interesting words in that if ever there were three words that are kind of against the prevailing culture of today, I think it's those three Because today we hear about self-determination, maybe about urgency and speed, or about assertiveness and rights. And Paul's saying, you know what, for us to work together, to be united, to show love, we need to be humble, to set aside what, you know, our pride and, and the things for us, to be patient and to be gentle, that, that gentleness that comes across as well. And I think also, you know, practically, when we know people and when we understand them, it's much, much easier to love them and to show those things. And at St. Matthew's, there's great opportunities to get to know people and to come together in small groups. They might be in home groups, might be in seniors groups, might be in women's groups, and there are other groups. And I'd really encourage you to get involved in that because that makes it easy. We know people and then we can walk the journey with them. So love. Paul tells us about love, a great thing for unity. Secondly then, if you look down in verse 3, he talks about the characteristic of truth. And he says that actually we've got some things in common. And, and the really nice thing is just a little word where Paul says for us to keep the unity. So he doesn't say to make it or to force it or to you know, st- you know, struggle to bring us together. The fact is, he says, to keep. Because as Pad said last week, you know, when, we, when we make confession, when we've you know, become a Christian, actually the Holy Spirit comes into us and we have that unity straight away. But we need to strive to keep it. And he says about the great things that keep us together, about the, there, are, there are seven here. You know, there's the Spirit, one Lord, one God. Uh, we see the hope, faith, and baptism. We see all these things that bring us together. And that's why I often, and we'll do it just after this, we stand together on a Sunday, and we often say the creed in t- today's is no different. It says, we believe in God the Father. And then the second paragraph, we believe in God the Spirit. And the third one, we believe in God the Holy Spirit. Because we should remind ourselves that there is a truth that we unite around and that truth that we know that God, God created the world to have relationship with us and that we, through what we choose to do, we break that relationship. And God, rather than leaving us on our own, sent Jesus 
to be able to repair that relationship and take the punishments that's due. And that we can put our trust and we can get right with God. And I don't know if that's something that you know this morning or something you thought about or you're thinking through. But I would say that we're running an Alpha course in um, a very short, towards the end of September. And that's a brilliant opportunity to ask questions, to come together and to chat about what it means to this truth that we believe. So as United Church, we want to focus on truth. And I guess the other thing I'd say is, I often think about these things Paul's talking about as being the big ticket items. You know, these are the primary things that we can all join around. And so again, that perspective of when we spend our time maybe thinking of secondary things, I don't know, be that worship or gifts or decor or style or structure, all those things that we often worry about, you know, we should think that actually it's these things that are really important that unite us. And these other things, they should never become like the number one most important thing. So thirdly then, we've seen about love, we've seen about the truth that brings us together, and then diverse, that we are united in diversity. And so if you look actually down in verse 6 and verse 7, there's a great contrast. So in verse 6, Paul says, Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. He says all four times. And then he moves to seven, and he says, but to each one of us. And then we see these verses seven, eight, and nine, where he talks about Jesus being the victor and the captive who's won the victory for us in verse eight, and then who gives gifts to each people. But he doesn't give everybody the same gift. It says that he gives everybody a portions gift to each of us, because actually we are different. We're, we're you know, it doesn't, it's not a don't have to be a genius to tell you that, that we look different, we've got different personalities, we react differently, and God has given us um, different gifts. And so we can, that, that, that is fine. And, and actually, in the New Testament, there's lots different, and Paul gives us a small subset of gifts down in this passage. Um, and I think there's two things to notice about that. So firstly, that we need to learn, we need to be equipped. Verse 12 says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Because you might think, and, and, you know, and the pastor is saying that you have been given gifts from God, but we're not the finished article, and we all need to learn, and we all need to be equipped and have a hunger and desire to find out more. And secondly, verse 12 also says that we're being equipped for a purpose, for works of service, so that's sometimes described as works of ministry. And so that's something that we should do as well, because, because what Paul's not saying is that God has given these gifts to, to, you know, to the leadership to do all the work, but rather he's given these gifts to the leadership to equip the church for works of service. So we're the people who are going to be working at that. And um, when we were in London at church, we school all souls, and there was a minister there, uh, John Stott. And it was often told that when, you know, young, keen people would come to him and say, John, you know, I'm going into the ministry, that his first reply was always, and what kind of ministry would that be then? Because his sense was that the ministry is often, we talk about like the ordained ministry. I'm going to be a vicar or a leader or a pastor. But what he was saying is we're all ministers. And so you may be 
a minister in your school to the people there. You might be a minister in your IT company. You might be a minister in the police service you work. You might be a minister to your children. You might be a minister um, wherever you are, to your neighbors, to your community. That's what we're called to be, to take these gifts and to use them, not to take these gifts and to ignore them. So we're united in diversity. And then just lastly, um, in maturity, in growing in maturity. And Paul goes on to say that we're united in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And, and in, in chapter, sorry, in verse 14, Paul creates like this slightly bleak or worrying imagery. He talks about being tossed back and forth in the waves, of being blown one way by what we hear and then blown the other way, of actually being like infants, the way that infants um, behave and understand. And, and actually, when you look, go back to the 12 and 13, he gives you what you need to do to avoid that, which is that knowledge of the Son of God and understanding the fullness of Christ. Do you know? So we need to have that understanding, that, that learning to be equipped on the truth that we know. A while back, there's a famous chat show in America called the Merv Griffin Show, and the guest was a bodybuilder. And during the interview, Merv asked, well, why do you develop those particular muscles? The bodybuilder simply stepped forward, flexed a well series of defined muscles from chest to calf, and the audience applauded and said, wow. So Merv tried again. He said, well, what, what do you use those muscles for? And again, this muscular specimen flexed the biceps, the triceps. They sprouted to impressive proportions. So Merv tried again. He said, but, but what do you use those muscles for? As he persisted. And the bodybuilder was bewildered. He didn't have an answer other than just to display what, he'd, what he had. And, and in a sense, Paul's saying the same thing to us. There's not much point in us kind of reading the Bible or reading books or talking endlessly about it. You know, we're there to be able to use, to be able to use those gifts we're given, use them in service. And verse 15, um, I love this verse. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. You see, a united church will be growing in maturity. And part of that will be using what we learn. And that is speaking the truth in love. And I love the balance between that truth and love. Because sometimes, and I'm guilty of one side, uh, certainly, we, we, we err too much on one. So for you, it might be truth. And you're very clear about what the Bible says. And you know that there's a need for salvation. And you know the truth and the reality of judgment to come. And you're anchored and you're not buffeted by that. But actually, you're missing the love the compassion, the gentleness, the patience, the humility. But maybe for, for some of you, actually, you're, you're, you're on the love side, and you're very clear we need to support people, that we need to be kind, that we need to be really sensitive about what we say. And you know that the Bible is about Jesus is a God of love. But actually, you miss a bit about the truth, about the fact that there is a judgment about what the Bible says that is unquestionable. And you're on the path of potentially just making people comfortably going down the wrong way. And so we need to get the balance between the two. We need to balance truth and love, and we need to speak it. 
And we've got loads of opportunities for that. So as Paz said, we have Back to Church Sunday next week um, coming up. We have the Alpha course coming up at the end of September. And we have lots of other things just that we can invite people to. And maybe it's for you as you are that minister in your workplace or minister at home or minister to your neighbours that you can speak the truth in love. And let's be thinking about that. Let's be thinking about in this week as I close how we can be a church that's united in love, in truth, that uses our gifts, that grows in maturity, and but more importantly, speaks the truth in love.